Now, yeah, I mean, uh, we appreciate those that made the commercial. By the way, uh, we know our screen is having problems. So if you saw those red lines, you may be thinking, do they know about that? Yes. The video actually looked great, but we're, it's gotten worse each service, so we're, we're on that. But uh, we say that we're declaring war on shallow Christianity. And that commercial is not to make light of the fact that there are brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering for Christ. But we're realizing that what shallow Christianity does is it presents a message where all you talk about is the benefits of Christ and following him, but you downplay or don't talk much about the cost that Jesus talked about with following him. And so today, I just want to come right out of the gates and tell you this. This is going to be a difficult message. This is going to be a hard one. As we make our way through John's gospel, we're not going to dodge this passage. This is the one we come to next, but this is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And I think that you're going to see as time goes on that this is only going to make you love and respect Jesus more for the fact that he always tells the truth, even when it's hard, because he loves us and he cares about us and he wants us to do life with him. So if you're following along in the notes today, here's what I hope you see. I hope you see that in this passage we're going to look at, Jesus now warns his disciples, expect to be hated. Jesus now warns his disciples, expect to be hated. William Tyndale, who was in England several hundred years ago, felt that every person should have a copy of the Bible in the English language. At that time, it was only in Greek or Latin, and so he, in Hebrew, but he wanted every person to have that, so he translated, at the cost of his life, a copy of the Bible. And he was hounded and hunted by religious leaders in the church and by the state, and was eventually captured in Belgium and brought back, and he was martyred in England. And while he was being persecuted and going through all this difficulty, he was asked, you know, what about all this persecution? And William Tyndale said, I never expected anything different. You see, he understood what he'd signed up for. He understood what to expect. And here's the danger. If we don't talk about both the benefits and the cost, then there's going to be a whole bunch of people that say they follow Christ, and when trouble comes, they're going to say, whoa, 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 I didn't expect this. I didn't even know I was supposed to expect this. So we got to be faithful so that other people can say, I never expected anything different. Jesus told the truth about this. And notice the word warning. The word warn, if you're following along, means to prepare or alert in advance of danger. It means to prepare or alert in advance of danger. A true and faithful teacher of Christ will both warn and encourage, both exhort and comfort. It won't just cut corners on things like that. But Jesus is our model. Jesus did this, and he warned us. And the idea of preparing or alerting us to the possibility in advance of danger is one of the most loving things that you and I can do. We would do it for our family members. We would do it for our friends. And Jesus does this in this passage. Now, I want to just review for a second. We've been making our way through John 13, 14, 15. Now we come to the end of 15 and beginning of 16 today. In the next couple weeks, we'll look at 16 and 17. It's in this passage that John slows down 
all these encounters that Jesus has been having over the last three years, and now he covers the last 24 hours of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion. And we've been talking about that we're in a series called Encountering Christ, and so these particular verses are about his encounters with the disciples. He's spending some really precious time with them just hours before he's crucified. So last week we saw that he said, look, just like this vine and branch relate to each other in this intimate way where the sap coming from the vine enables the branch to be fruit-bearing, I want you to be connected to me in that kind of daily, close way. Draw your life from me, depend on me, rely on me. And as you do that, here's how one of the things you'll know that you're doing that. You'll love one another like I've loved you. So he finishes the last section we saw, verse 17 of John 15, talking about love each other. This is what I want you to do. Now he talks about hatred. Now the message we're looking at today is called being hated. Still glad you came? He talks about what our relationship is like, not only with each other in the body of Christ, but how do we relate to people outside the body of Christ? How do we relate to people beyond our walls? Steve already talked to about the fact that we're, we want to be thoughtful and considerate and loving towards people beyond our walls as well. But So Jesus is going to talk about this. Uh, let me just pause and say something. At the risk of sounding mystical or weird, I just want to tell you, six years ago, about this time, I spent some time in Michigan just walking uh, and spending time in retreat. And as I walked there, I had this overwhelming impression from the Lord that I was responsible for the backbone of this congregation as far as at least strengthening it. He said, Jeff, there's going to come a time of testing for you and the church where it's not going to necessarily be as easy to follow me, and I want you to prepare people. He didn't tell me when. He didn't tell me how. He just said, make sure you prepare people for difficulty and hostility and, and hardship. And so we've tried to be faithful over the last few years of teaching through Bibles, not skipping or moving around passages when they have hard things. And today's another one. I just want to tell you, I don't know exactly how Jesus is going to prepare us fully, but this is part of it. Part of it is by understanding and reading what we're going to do today. So I want to pray. Then we're going to make our way through. By the way, I didn't even ask you to open your Bibles yet, did I? Do you mind opening your Bibles? Let's do that before we pray, just so we got them ready. John chapter 15 is where we're going to be, verse 18. And uh, it's about three-fourths of the way back in your Bible. I hope you brought your Bible, but if you didn't, there's a red one nearby. You can pull it out. I'd love for us to be first-handers with the Bible. If you're a guest today, please know that you're not the only one that doesn't know where John is and that you can turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those red Bibles home with you. It's our gift to you. We want everyone to be able to have scriptures like William Tyndale talked about. So John 15, verse 18 is where we're going to start in just a minute. Let me pray. I thank you, Lord, for this church family. I don't know how each person is supposed to apply this. I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray you'd be our teacher. It's so different when you talk to us than when a human being talks to us. There's so the authority we just sang about. You have it. Please speak to us by your authority. In your name we pray. Amen. Very first thing I hope you'll see in the notes as we get ready to read here is this. Jesus warns his disciples. Here's what he warns them. 
first line there? The world will hate you. The world will hate you. Let me read verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And you might say, Jeff, uh, the word if there. And you sounded pretty authoritative saying the world will. It's written in the original language this way. If the world hates you, and it will, know that it hated me first. Or because the world will hate you, know this, keep this in mind, I've experienced it too. I'm not talking to you as someone that says, you do it, but I'm not going to do it. In fact, in the next few hours, you're going to see how much the world hates me. They're going to beat me, and they're going to kill me on a cross. Please know, I know what it's like, what I'm talking about. The world will hate you. And the very next question in all of our minds is, whoa, who is the world? You know, I know there was a song years ago, we are the world. But who is the world? The Bible, if you're following along, the Bible gives several different definitions. Let me give you a couple before I give you the one in the notes. First is this. When the Bible talks about the world, it talks about the created order or the, the, what we see in nature. So sometimes the Bible's talking about the whole world is filled with his glory and talking about just the things we see, the mountains and the stars and the sky, sun, moon, and all these incredible things that we can just stand in awe of, God's creation. Second thing that world can mean is uh, the whole uh, world of humanity. Human beings from every nation, every part of the world. And, but this, the idea here that Jesus is talking about is this. If you're following along, the world is society operating apart from God. Society operating apart from God. It's talking about the world system. The way that, that the, world, the world's values... In other words, this is a little tricky to try and get our arms around, but the world has almost a personality. And it, it, it's under the influence, the Bible says, of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. We are in a rebellious planet uh, against God, and so the spirit of the world's there. Uh, Ephesians 6 tells us that we're really not wrestling against people, flesh and blood, so much as we're wrestling, wrestling against principalities and powers dark forces of this world. And the idea is, is that there is a spirit in the world that can actually affect people, places, organizations, philosophies, activities. And we've, while it's hard to get our fingers on, all of us have felt the pull and the pressure and the tension of the world. Some of you have felt the pressure and the power of the world working on you. Sometimes when, when you... When you started to follow Christ, you noticed that there were different friends that they, they thought, well, like, what's, what's happened to Joe? Joe is, like, what? And you, you feel this. We, we feel it sometimes when the world just says, let's just all get along. Let's just all coexist. Or the self-preservation kind of spirit. So the world, and I could talk a lot more, but let me just say this. When I felt it as a teenager was when my dad used to preach. And he would say, are you willing to surrender your life to the Lord? Are you willing to let him be the Lord of your life? And I remember thinking as a teenager, no. If I do that, that's like social suicide. I mean, I, my friends, that'll change my relationships. I got all these plans. I got all of these possessions. I got all these 
dreams that I want to go after. And I realized that what I was fighting was the spirit of this world. I was, I was at war with that in my soul. Well, where was I going to go after? And some of you know that kind of pressure. And so there's different Sundays that some of you will come up to me afterwards and say, I go through these notes during the week after the message, and I look up the Bible verses that you list, and I actually try and go over this again, and it helps me actually go a little deeper. Maybe that would be helpful to you this week, because I don't have time to give you all the scriptures on this, but there's a whole bunch of verses that I've given on there. And uh, again, John will later write in 1 John 3.13, don't be surprised when the world hates you, because it's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's two value systems against each other. It should make sense to you. It should not be weird. And that leads us to this next thing, verse 19, which I've listed there in that first gray box so we can all read off the same translation aloud and together. Would you join me? If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, in a couple weeks, Steve will talk a lot more about the prayer Jesus is going to pray in John 17, where Jesus uses this same language. These people are not of this world anymore, but they are, I've sent them into the world, just like you sent me into the world, to have a mission. Therefore, they're not of the world's spirit anymore, and when they're not, it's put them in conflict. And uh, he goes on, if you're following along, that first number one there, Here's what he says in essence. You don't belong to the world anymore. You don't belong to the world anymore. And again, these passages are, have, have been very controversial over the years for Christians. What does it mean to live in the world but not be of the world? I had a lady come up to me after the last service and she said, I grew up where Christians said, you'd never go to movies, you'd never wear makeup, you'd never wear jewelry, all these kinds of things. And they said, that's how you relate to the world. And she knew in her gut that there was something kind of hollow and legalistic about that, but she also understood that they were trying their best to understand, how do I live with this kind of tension? What does it mean to be authentic and genuinely wholehearted for Jesus in the world? And so Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world anymore but be transformed in your mind, in the way that you think and look at life, so that now you're being transformed by what God wants for you, by the will of God, which is perfect and acceptable. So let that change you. And again, that's a daily process, isn't it? And it's an ongoing battle for a person that's trying to live in the world, but not of the world. It says you don't belong in it anymore. Look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. This will tell you a little bit about the value system of the world. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. It's not saying don't enjoy them. It's saying don't give your heart to them. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You see, you've got to choose. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. In other words, God gave us physical pleasure, but now they've made an idol out of it. Where now it's all you desire. A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. That's my identity. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away. It's on its way out, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And that's the challenge we face. And so you do not belong to this world anymore, Jesus says. The next thing he says is that you belong to me. Number two, you belong to me, so they'll treat you the same as me. 
I mean, now that I've chosen you, now that you belong to me, they're going to treat you the same way. So verse 20 and 21, let me read that. Remember the words that I spoke to you. He did this back when they were talking about washing each other's feet. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Part of the world system preaches tolerance. But watch tolerance go away when you say Jesus. Say it. Say it in higher education places. Say it in the business world. Say it in Hollywood. Say it in the political arena. And you are committing social suicide. Tolerance quickly goes away. Why? Because that's not this world. Wow. Jesus goes, it's inevitable. And it's going to be tough. Please know that to follow me, you may find yourself at odds with people you never wanted to be at odds with and never imagined yourself being at odds with. It's inevitable when you choose me and I chose you. You belong to me now. And if they responded well to me, they'll respond well to you. If their heart's open to me, their heart will be open to you. If their heart's closed towards me, their heart will be closed to you. You represent me now. Even if you're not trying that hard. Three, they're guilty and don't know the Father, his mission, or me. Jesus explains that part of the reason why there's a hostility and an anger and a pushback is they're guilty. And they don't know the Father, his mission, or me. And I might just be real clear here and just say, all of us have been guilty. All of us have been guilty. We're not name-calling here. He's saying in verses 22 through 25, and he's in part referring to the religious leaders that oppose him in the name of God. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. He's talking about the Jewish nation as well. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. The Bible predicted this, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, that people would hate me without reason, without cause. And part of it is because what I did by my words and my actions is that I exposed, I brought light to the dark things they were doing, and they did not like me showing their guilt, showing their need for me. And friends, I just want to tell you, when the light of Jesus begins to shine in your life, you will bother some people because they're doing stuff in dark places. They're an act on the outside, but they're doing stuff in secret. And John 3 says people do not like the light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. And all of us know what that's like. And so we can be sensitive about that with people. But we need to know that's the reality. That's what it does. And you know, it just reminds us, Jesus says, I chose you. I know you may say you chose me, but I chose you first. And the reason why you chose me is because I was working in your heart. And you now are following me. You belong to me. And remember that I didn't just choose you to be a happy American. 
I didn't choose you just to be a prosperous and successful person. I chose you to be part of my mission in the world. The Bible says is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says every one of us has gone our own way and turned away from God in indifference or rebellion. But that God saw our situation and he sent a redeemer. He sent someone to reconcile us back to God. And he gave his one and only, his best son, to die on a cross as the only sinless, perfect sacrifice in our place that God could bring us back together with him. He could forgive our sin. He could restore our relationship with God. And that is unbelievable news. And that's the message that Jesus calls us to carry to a lost and dying world. Why? Because he loves the world. Not like it is, but the people in the world. Does that make sense? So the thing he says next is this. Their hate may range from mild persecution to death. Their hate for you may range from mild persecution to death. Let me read verses 16, 1 through 4. We'll come back to 26 and 27 later. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Do you see why Jesus is warning them? He's saying, I'm telling you this in advance so that when you get flustered or when you get overwhelmed by that kind of hatred, you won't go astray. This will somehow anchor you. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Some translations say they'll actually think they're doing God a favor by getting rid of you. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. You know, it's interesting. He says, they, they, they don't know the Father or me. Can you imagine? He was talking about some of the religious leaders in part who said, we know God, we know God, we know best, we know exactly what we're doing. But Jesus was able to see past all of that charade. When he was dying on the cross and being nailed to the cross, one of the most powerful things he did was he said, Father, forgive them because they do not what? Know what they are doing. They think they know exactly what they're doing, but they don't know your mission. They don't know me. They don't know you. And because of that, they're blind. And we care about them still. Don't hold us against them. Let there be hope that can still flow their way. We love them. Powerful. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, we studied. He says, blessed are you when men persecute you and insult you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for that is how they treated the prophets who were before you. There's mild persecution, insult, reviling you with words. Man, what a weirdo. What a loser. Christian. Oh, my goodness. And sometimes the mild persecution of that can be felt. Then he says in verse 2, they may exclude you. And this may sound mild at first, but it's amping up a little bit now, isn't it? Some of you know that when you started following Christ, you weren't trying to be obnoxious about it. You're still trying to love your friends, but they didn't want to be with you anymore. Or they didn't want to be with you anymore if you were going to not do some of the same things you used to do. 
and that kind of exclusion. And the excommunication, John MacArthur, in case you don't know what it means to be excommunicated from the synagogue, listen to this. To be made outcast from the synagogue meant far more than merely being forbidden to attend religious services. Some of us would go, all right, I don't get to go to church anymore. Those who were excommunicated from the synagogue were cut off from all religious, social, and economic aspects of Jewish society. They were branded as traitors to their people and their God and faced the likely consequences of losing both their families and their jobs. Not surprisingly, being unsynagogued was greatly feared. And some of you were here when we studied John 9 and Steve taught about the blind man. When he claimed that Jesus healed him, his parents backed off talking about Jesus because they didn't want to be excommunicated from the synagogue by the religious leaders who held the power. And they were misrepresenting God. Man, that's... Some of, he says, some of you are going to be beaten. And some of you are going to be killed. And we have all heard the stories of the Roman Colosseum. We've heard how the Apostle Paul, before he was ever a Christian, tried to get people to blaspheme so he could imprison them and so he could kill them or at least bring them to arrest. Man, this stuff is real. And in case you wonder, does this happen in Springfield, Illinois? I mean, like, this is America, Jeff. Like, why are we studying this? Well, you need to know. In the last three services, we've had people sitting in our services who, after they were baptized and after they came public with Jesus, their families changed how they treated them. Some of our students are no longer allowed to come to church because their parents say, if you're going to go to a church that believes that Jesus is the only way and that people go to heaven or hell by what they do with Jesus, you're not allowed to go there. Because anybody that would say, I'm going to hell when I'm a good person, I'm not going to allow you to go there. That is destructive. And you don't think this affects their friends? You don't think this is heavy? This is real. This is real. And Jesus says, expect it. Not because you like it. Not because you're sadistic. Expect it. Don't be totally thrown off. Don't think there's something wrong with you necessarily when it happens. Um, we, Steve said earlier, we want to care about people outside our walls, right? We have missionaries that are trying to be faithful in other countries. And some of you know that Paul Rollett is going to be available after the third service today to share what he's been learning in the Philippines. He's home right now. And some of you were here Thursday night out in the lobby and in this room for the Amigos in Cristo banquet where our work in Juarez, Mexico is going on. And that brought Miss A.L. and Doris to be with us. And so what we want to do now is we thought it might be appropriate if we invite them up in just a moment. I'll, I'll tell you when. Let me tell you a couple things that have happened. Miss A.L. and Doris in Juarez, Mexico had a family come to them that relocated from another part of Mexico. And when this family received the gospel, they never could have imagined, but their own family and neighbors turned on them. They were ticked off at them, needless to say. And the children were no longer allowed to go to the public school in that community. Their utilities were turned off. The father was threatened with a death sentence. And the neighbors gathered around and put fire, I mean, excuse me, gasoline on their house and threatened that they would light it with the whole family inside if they didn't change their mind. 
They fled. They came to Juarez, Mexico, where they had nothing. They didn't know the type of Spanish spoken in Juarez like they had known where they lived. So now getting jobs, finding anything was tough. But the body of Christ loved them. And Miss Ale and Doris were part of that group that helped the kids after school programs and other things. And today the kids and the parents are in a different place. Love each other, Jesus said. Love each other. And they are, they're in a different place, but they found out how tough it is. Paul was back from the Philippines, and as he was reading a book on urban mission, urban ministry, a guy got on the bus next to him there in California, high as a kite. And when he asked Paul what he was reading, told him it was about Jesus caring for people. When he heard the name Jesus, the guy began to spit in Paul's face and cuss at him. And he said, oh, I wish I could slam your face into the window. Where does this hate come from? Jesus said, it may come. He said, from mild persecution to death. So anyway, we want to invite them up. And this is part of our extension out into beyond our walls. So would you welcome Paul and Miss Ellen Doris as they come up? And we just, more than anything, on behalf of our whole church family, I'm going to pray for them. That God will help them to be faithful wherever they are, whatever nation they might be in, whatever situation they might be in, that he'll help them. Because we want to encourage our missionaries, don't we? Our partners. So let me just uh, stand behind them, and I'll pray on behalf. Would you bow your head with me? Let's cry out to the Lord. Lord Jesus, the one who said these words to us to prepare us, we bless your name. We pray first for Paul. Those of us that have watched him listen to you, the way he surrendered his life to you, we thank you for the way you've worked in his life already. Thank you for protecting him on the bus the other day. But Lord, we want to pray for that guy. We want to pray that your redeeming mission for him might be realized, and that somehow as Paul interacted with him, that something was imparted to him. We pray that wherever Paul goes, that as he abides in you, he will bear the kind of fruit you talked about in his relationships with others. And God, I want to pray for Doris and Miss Al, these dear friends and partners with us in the mission you've called us to. In Juarez, Mexico, such a troubled city, such an impoverished city. Oh God, thank you for this family that's come to them and how they've been able to come alongside them and love them. And there are many others. And God, whether people are suffering deeply or they're just needing to know you, Lord, I pray, let Miss Ale and Doris be part of extending the good news beyond the body of Christ to others outside, that they may too come to know you, Lord. So I pray you'll give them courage, perseverance, strength greater than their own, and that they will be faithful. In your name we ask, may they know the encouragement of our church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you mind clapping one more time as a symbol of love? So as we think about what is our relationship supposed to be like, I skipped over a part. Sandwiched in the middle of this very difficult thing, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Even in a hostile world, here's what I want you to do. And you can see this next section is, and you also must testify. You also must testify. Let's read that in the second gray box, John 15, 26, and 27. Let's read it together. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, 
the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. Wow. I feel like I'm with my brothers and sisters in a black church. They use that word with such great unction and power. It's a great word. Testify. Testify. So, notice the first thing. I'll send my Holy Spirit to help you, he says here. I'll send my Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the helper, the comforter, to help you. A couple weeks ago, Steve taught on John 14. If you didn't get to hear that message, I hope you'll listen to it. He helped us understand more of what Jesus wanted us to know about this one who had come alongside to help us live out this mission with Jesus in our lives. He's the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus. Now he can live in you and I because the Father and Jesus would send him to us. And this one comes to help us. I love that Jesus said before he left planet Earth, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, my witnesses. Testify about me and what I came to do, about the Father's mission for the world. Don't hold it back. Don't keep it from other people. It's good news in a bad news world. Share it. Share it with your words. Share it in actions. But testify to this world that it needs Christ. And it can have Christ if they'll humbly believe and accept him. And the idea here is that he's saying, you don't have to worry that it's all up to you. I had a professor in college that said, man, I don't think I could be a martyr. He said, except that I know that if God calls me to be one, he'll give me martyr's grace and the help of the Holy Spirit in that hour. I believe the same about me. I don't know all that's ahead. I don't know what I might face or what you might face, but I believe he's ready to help us with the Holy Spirit's help. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Look at Luke 12, 11 and 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time, in that hour, what you should say. Across the ticker of your mind, in your heart, you'll know what to say faithfully, and I'll help you when you get there. Just abide in me each day. The second thing is, what does it mean to testify? And then all of us have kind of seen people testify. We've people sh- seen people share testimony in a court of law or on TV. The word testify, if you're following along, means to declare openly and affirm as true. To declare openly or publicly and affirm as true. This means no secret agent Christians. This means that at some point you're going to have to decide, is Jesus the thing for you? Is he the one? Is he the center of your life? Is he first? William Barclay said it this way, persecution came to the Christians because they put Christ first. Persecution always comes to the person who does this. When you and I put Christ first, it puts us at odds sometimes with other people that think Christ can be any other place than first. But when you and I testify that Jesus is the one, Now, I want you to look at these verses here. I want to say something pastoral in just a minute, but let me show you these verses first from 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. We've seen them before. But in your hearts, this is how we prepare, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as, what's the word, friends? Shallow Christianity will only set Christ apart as Savior. He forgives me, I have a ticket to heaven, but I have no other responsibilities. Shallow Christianity. 
Mature Christianity says, no, he came to be the Lord and have his rightful place in my life. That's why I died on the cross. Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Get ready. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Pray for open doors. Pray for opportunities. Pray that people will ask you. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, here's what I want to stop and say. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I know during this election season that we have convictions and passions about that. And I just want to say that I, I have been... I've been concerned by some of the things I've seen as far as name-calling, derogatory things said about the different candidates, a kind of spirit that's angry and mean-spirited sometimes among Christians. And here's what I want to say. I understand how that can happen in our passion, but it's not with gentleness and respect. Therefore, we are losing our testimony in this world. And the reason why the world hates us sometimes is deserved because we are not doing the same things Jesus would do. We are not saying our convictions with respect and gentleness. And when the apostles were on trial and being falsely accused and being threatened with death, they were firm. They said, we must obey God rather than men, but decide for yourselves what to do with us. And they were respectful. And friends, I just want to say, the people in this world, if there's any hope of them coming to Christ, must see it in us. We must testify humbly. We must testify in a way that people can tell that even when we disagree, we still care about them in the name of God. Testify, says. And this last thing, no matter what, stay faithful to me. No matter what, stay faithful to me. Wow, this is so huge. And all of us know that we are not always faithful. Did you know that later the disciples would all fall away? John 16, Jesus is going to say, tonight and tomorrow, you guys are going to all fall away. But he knew that beyond that, with the help of the Holy Spirit, they could be faithful. And when they weren't faithful, they could quickly run back to being faithful to him again. And what he wants for you and me is to keep abiding and being faithful to following him and caring more about him than protecting ourselves. And so... As we come to this passage, again, I'll urge you to read some other of these verses that are there. There's a great one there in Hebrews 11. But here's the last thing I want you to see, and I want to ask you not to put your Bibles away, I mean, your notes away. Here's what it is. Have I signed up to follow Jesus and testify even if I'm hated? What did you sign up for when you followed Christ? When you were invited to put your trust in Christ, did you have someone say, before you make a decision to follow me, follow Christ, know that it may cost you everything in this world, but you'll gain Christ. Did people tell you that? If you turn your notes over, this is why I asked you not to put your notes away. I wasn't trying to be bossy. <laughs> On the back are seven questions. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but in South Asia, there are brothers and sisters who before they're baptized, are presented with these seven questions. They're sobering questions. They absolutely brought me to a halt. And they know, the leaders of that nation know that unless they warn them first, 
They'll set these people up for a shock they could not deal with otherwise. So they just want to make sure everyone knows what it means to trust your life to Jesus Christ, saving faith. And so these seven questions you can see there, and Michelle's going to play. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Where are you at with Jesus? Some of you I know here, you're not church people. You're not ready to trust Christ yet. And I bet in a way you're taking a big sigh of relief right now. Because you know that for those of us that do say we're trusting Christ, this is big. But I hope that someday you'll trust Christ. And if you do, I hope you'll always remember what Jesus said on the front end. And what he was inviting to. You know when Jesus said this, some people said, I'll follow him wherever he asks me to go. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one I want more than anything else. But where are you at? Do you need to apologize to the Lord today for being a secret Christian and being ashamed of him? Do you need to actually surrender yourself more fully so that if he asks you to pay a more expensive price, you'll say, I'll still choose you, Jesus, with your help. I'll still choose you. Let's fight shallow Christianity in ourselves for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the world that needs him so badly. Earlier, the choir and the praise team sang a song that really was part of quoting Revelation 12:11, another verse that I listed in the notes for you this week. It says, they overcame him. It's talking about those that suffered for Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, by the death of Jesus, making them right with God and giving them a new identity and new confidence. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives even unto death. They were able to overcome him. They were surrendered people, and they knew his grace in that hour. 1 Peter 4 says, don't worry about being persecuted, because when you trust Christ that way, the spirit of glory will rest on you. He'll help you. You'll find there are resources waiting for you in those hours that you never knew before. You'll pray differently. You'll have a new power. So we want to sing this song as we close. Because Jesus overcame the world when it was his turn. And because he overcame, he went first. He can help us. He can really help us by his spirit. So listen to these words and join us.